You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, this morning, I want to invite you in your Bibles or perhaps one of your electronic devices to the book of 1 Peter. We began last week of a series that we're calling Exiles, and we're going to simply walk through this five-chapter book. And I hope you went home. I give you a challenge last week to read a chapter a day. And then if you would, if you're really up for the challenge, then pick a day that you would sit down and read the book from the first verse to the last verse in one setting. And if you haven't done it, Man, accept that challenge. Go and begin today or tomorrow and read one chapter a day. And then if you can find the time, sit down and read through the entire book in one setting. It will not take you very long. Well, last week we did not make it very far. We made it through two verses of 1 Peter. Well, today we're going to pick up and we're going to look at verses 3 through 12. And I introduced last week that there is no other book in the Bible especially the New Testament, that deals more with one topic than what we're going to look at even today. And several times throughout this book, today we're going to look at suffering. Suffering is a topic that makes us very uncomfortable. No one really likes to talk about suffering. But everyone here this morning has probably endured some form of suffering. Maybe you've experienced being laid off from your job. You have gone through a disease or a major sickness. You have buried loved ones that you would say have died too early. You have children that have made a mess of their lives. You have been falsely accused of something. You've battled depression and mental illness and maybe suffering from infertility or singleness. And the list goes on and on and on. There are so many forms of suffering. This past week, I was reminded of someone who suffered in a really unique way. I want to bring our attention to a man named J.I. Packer. J.I. was born on July 22, 1926, and I will have failed you as your pastor if I do not help you get to know J.I. Packer. He grew up in England and lived in Canada and even then on to the U.S. When he was Seven years old, he was in school, and he was being chased by a schoolmate, and he ran out in the street where he had a, a horrible collision with a truck. Part of his skull was caved in, and he had to wear a protective device. And part of that caused him then to spend many hours indoors because he couldn't run and he couldn't play as the other kids did because of the injury to his head. But what it did for J.I., it produced in him a love for books and writing. In fact, he says of all the gifts he has ever received, the most precious gift to him was a used typewriter that his parents gave him. Well, he went on to college, and then he even studied at Oxford. And from there, he has served and taught in uh, seminaries and in Bible colleges. From there, he went on and he did some other things, but... Today, I mean, think about this. Today, J.I. Packer is considered by most the most influential evangelical Christian in North America. 
He's quoted by believers and non-believers that he is the most influential believer in North America, the most influential evangelical of his time. But here's what's interesting. He never pastored a major church. He's not someone that you can would turn on YouTube and he's just there. He's not somebody that you would podcast and really bring into your home. He's, he's not someone that, that's on the latest social media. How he was known was through his writings. J.I. has offered over 300 books and journals. So he's got 300 on him. I mean, he has authored that many books and journals. In fact, he was the general editor of something that you may hold in your hands if you hold an ESV Bible that I preach from, and you may have. He is the general editor of the ESV Study Bible. In fact, he will be remembered with names like Augustine, Martin Luther, Charles Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, and Charles Spurgeon. He will be named among those people. And listen to what he said about his own life. He said, I was called by God as a sinner, saved by and owning everything to his grace, to serve his people as a minister, teacher, and as a communicator of life, giving Bible truth concerning the providence of goodness and the knowledge of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And hereby, a furtherer of spiritual formation and a helper of troubled souls. That's what he wanted for his life, to communicate God's truth and to be one that helped further the spiritual formation of troubled and lost souls. And when I say, what an incredible man. He devoted his entire life to learning about who God was and how he could communicate that to lost people. But on Friday, an announcement come out about, came out about J.I., an announcement came out that over Christmas it said that macular degeneration struck so that he can no longer read and write. It's an incurable eye disease that um, he will no longer be able to read and write and to preach. I mean, imagine that. You have dedicated your entire life to reading and writing and proclaiming God's truth, and you develop an eye disease that will take all of that away. Man, I would go, God, is that even fair? I mean, take someone's eyes away that all they do is look at internet porn, or, or, or take their sight away if all they do is look down on people. Why are you taking it from J.I. Packer? But I want you to listen to what he said in a recent post about this. J.I. said, but God knows what he's doing. This comes as a clear indication from headquarters. And I take it from him. I mean, what a great testimony and example for all of us. And I'll be honest, when I was studying through this passage this week and last the week before, I thought, you know what? This passage is telling us, you know, just be like J.I. Packer. You know, just have joy when suffering comes and that you will go through and I would say, yes, it's a true statement, but that's not what this passage is talking about. And here's why. There are times when you and I maybe face trials and suffering and pain, and, and man, we face it with great hope 
and with great faith. There are other times, though, that seems that we come across suffering and pain and trials, and it's when depression and hopelessness and anxiety seem to overtake us, and we feel as though we have very little faith. The darkness seems to close in, and it's hard to even see light. And if you've ever responded to suffering in that way, I want you to know you're not alone because I've been there. But instead of being ashamed um, when those times that we don't trust and we feel hopeless and overcome by anxiety, I want you to find great hope this morning from Peter's letter because I believe he is speaking into weakness, not greatness. So you're there in 1 Peter Let me back up and read the first two verses we did last week to maybe bring us up to speed. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied in you. So remember, Peter is writing to people that have been scattered. They're exiles. They're people that are no longer living in their home. And remember, there were two categories. There were Jews that have been sent from Jerusalem, and they're living somewhere else in these five areas of modern-day Turkey. But another viewpoint is that he's also talking to Christians that they are living in a land. They are exiles living in a land that is not their home. In fact, he's trying to say, Christians, you are, once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are no longer a citizen of this world only. That we are strangers. And here's the reality of being a Christian. If you are God's child, this world is not supposed to be a comfortable place. Because you are called by our Lord to operate by a different set of values and rules and with a different perspective. Your heart should be motivated by a different set of motivations because you are now serving a different king. And as Christians, we should not feel like we fit in and we should stop trying to fit into a world that is not our home. So Peter's point is Christians... This world is not your home, and it should not feel like it. And he set it up beautifully. He said, listen, God knows this. Before the foundations of the world, He knew this was coming. He's provided the power of the sanctification of the Spirit to carry you through it. And it's all done through Jesus Christ, who gave up His life for us. So now we're caught up. Let's walk through the next major section. Beginning in verse 3. Let's read to verse 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready To be revealed in the last time. I mean, Peter in verse 3, he just bust out in a full on worship 
in these three verses. Blessed means worthy of praise. And Peter is not just giving us some interesting theological facts. He is so full, he has got on full-on praise mode when he thinks about this. Because <coughs> in fact, what happens is we praise what we love even when we don't even realize it. I spent all last week in Louisville, Kentucky. I, I've been working on my doctorate, and I was there all week. And praise the Lord, I've got one more class coming up. But I'm in this class, and I'm with what we call cohorts. Guys that for the last three years, we've been coming together a few times a year to work through this together. And you get to know each other really well. This week, I had to do several presentations about us and our church and where we've been and where we are and even where we're going. And you had to do it several times throughout the week. And it was great to hear from other people and uh, the things they're doing and, and all that sort of stuff. But I got I was actually the last one on the very last presentation. And they have to give some feedback. And one guy just stopped. and He said this. He said, Mark, I love to hear you talk about your church. He says, there is no question how much you love it. In fact, we sit here and we talk about our problems and it seems like such a burden and it's so mechanical. But he says, you talk about your church and it's exciting. And you know what? It's because I do. I love this church. I love the people and I love what we're doing and I love our vision and I love everything about are we perfect? No, but you talk about and you praise what you love even when you don't realize it. And that is Peter. He is so full of what God is doing, he can't contain himself. But what is Peter doing with this praising? Peter is taking us as his readers and his original audience, he's taking them to a, a better perspective. He's trying to take them and he's trying to shift them to something else he, because he knows something. And Peter seems to know so much about human nature. He knows that when there's pain and there's struggles and there's trials that we turn inward. You know, all you have to do is be walking through your home and your little toe smacks the, the corner of the couch or the end table to the point that that little thing just curls under and you have just with all your force just rammed it into that immovable wood structure. At that point, you can't even remember your own name. Because all you can think about is that pain that is searing up through my foot. And I mean, it's like you can't, you can't think of anything else because of the pain that is there. And it's what Peter is trying to do. He's trying to know when there is a struggle, when there is something going on. He's trying to take our perspective to something different. And notice where Peter focuses. It's a perspective that Peter often does. This. He looks back and he looks forward. Peter wants his readers to be reassured of what they're believing in. It's like a kid that gets hurt and scrapes their knees trying to take their mind off of the pain to something else. So notice what he says. Look back at verses 3 through 5. Notice the past. He says in verse 3, Bless, praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. So it's all about Him. It's not what we've done. It's because of His mercy. Notice what it says. Has caused. Past tense. And what has He been? Meaning it's already happened. You have been born again. In fact, believer, in order to be a person, in order to believe in Jesus Christ, you must be born again. 
It's not something we do. It's what God does to us. And then it frees us up to believe and to trust in Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, look to what God the Father has done for you. He's caused you to be born again, but he's not done. Peter says that it is also through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Father causes us to be born again, but then Jesus lives and he dies for us. And he says, listen, that is where I need you to look to the past. Look at what God has done. And then in verse 4, notice what he does. He then takes your mind and he throws it all the way to the future. He says, God's spirit there in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. So he takes our mind to the future that God's spirit is holding our inheritance in a place that nothing can touch it. There is not anything in this world that could ever get to my inheritance. This world cannot waste it and spend it away. And I love that he says there is a salvation, not just in the past, not just for today. There is a salvation that will be revealed. Peter is saying that through trials and struggles, remember who called you. Remember who saved you. And remember who is securing your salvation. Let me ask you, how secure is that? I mean, think about that. It's being held in heaven by God's power. If there's a power that's greater than His, I need to know about it. And we say, we believe, no, there is not. So the most powerful power that we could ever imagine is holding our inheritance in a place that nothing can reach it. That means there is not a trial, a struggle, or a pain that can take that away. Satan can come after you. He can come after your body. He can come after your mind. He can come after your family. He can come after your finances. But nothing he can do can take away what is resting and waiting for us. And Peter says this should cause us to stand firm no matter what the trial is because God has this. So if this is true, notice what Peter says about how we should think about suffering. Look at the next two verses, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. Now hold on, Peter. Rejoice, really? Though now for a little while, if necessary, and here's what I need you to underline and see. For you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what I want us to see is that Peter is very honest. He says, as a Christian... Prepare to suffer. I mean, how do you like that for a greeting call? Listen, yeah, you want to you believe and trust in Jesus Christ? Just know it's going to be a hard road ahead. But he says you should prepare to suffer. You should prepare for trials. You should prepare for pain. Because I believe there is a common belief out there that we're all in danger of falling into this. He says, you know what? Jesus suffered so that I shouldn't have to. Jesus suffered so that I don't have to anymore. 
And I would say, yes, that is a true statement, but it's off by just about a thousand years. What I mean by that is, yes, Jesus suffered so that you wouldn't have to suffer in hell. Jesus suffered so that you would not have to suffer the wrath of God. But in the words of John Piper, Jesus suffered to model for us how to take it. You know, we are consumed with making our lives as comfortable as possible as we can here on earth. But we are reminded that this world is not our home and we should not feel at home here. We should expect to suffer. But you go, why is that? Why should I expect to suffer? Well, first of all, it's because it's not a useless suffering. God brings suffering in our lives and He uses this illustration for us. He says that we come into suffering and suffering is brought into our lives of believers to purify our faith and to show it is genuine and it's true. And I want you to notice, I want you to see four quick things about every trial and every pain and every struggle you will ever go to or go through. Verses 6 and 7. Notice He says, for a little while. So kids, let me ask you, who controls time? We'd say God does. God is in control of the timing and the length of every suffering, trial, and struggle that you will ever face. Warren, Warren Rearsby says it this way. When God permits His children to go through the furnace, He keeps His eye on the clock and His hand on the thermostat. And notice this great word picture. Peter uses this word picture of a goldsmith, a, a person that would take a, a gold that has got impurities and he would put it in the fire that the impurities are burned off of. And they would often say that a goldsmith would keep doing this until he could see his reflection in the gold. So I think sometimes the Lord keeps us in the furnace until we begin to reflect more and more of His glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. So, suffering comes, and it's there. It's there for a time, and God controls that time. The second thing it says in verse 6, if need be, or you just might say, if necessary, meaning trials meet certain needs. It could be to discipline us. It could be to get our attention. It could be to prepare us for spiritual growth. It could even be... To prevent us from sinning. So our suffering is not useless suffering. It has a divine purpose. But the third one I think for me is the most important. It says grieved. Meaning it's not easy. It's heavy. And Peter says listen God understands that. So he says if you're grieved. Because I go, man, J.I. Packer doesn't seem grieved at all. What is wrong with him? He says it's grieved. It's not easy. And then it says it's varied. Meaning many, many colored. Meaning there are different trials that are going to come in many different forms. But what we must believe is that God has what we need no matter what the color of the trial. So he wants us to have this right attitude and right mental assent to what is happening in suffering. But now, Peter turns to what do we do? What do we do when we are suffering? 
So first he wants his readers to eventually know who they are. You're an elect exile that God knew before the foundations of the world where you would be. He then wants us to understand that we are loved by him, that God has our very best interest in mind, that every struggle and every trial and every suffering is under his loving hand. So through suffering, God is building a faith that we will endure to the end. I love how Charles Spurgeon says, he says, you know what, there's a little book which you will have to eat and it will be bitter in your mouth, but sweet in your bowels. A book, the book is the trial of your faith. So Peter says, no, one, you're elect exiles. Number two, your perspective in suffering. Three, he talks about our attitude. But now he talks about in the next two verses what we are to actually do. And here they are. Though you have not seen him, love him. Though you do not see Him, believe or trust in Him. And third, rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So in verse 8, the first thing He says to us, you know what you do? Love Jesus. You go, okay. But what do you mean by that? It means that we need to do things that that cultivate that relationship. You know, the reason that I love my wife is because we begin spending time together. And then you get to know each other. And then most of the time you understand each other. And then you start serving one another. And then you start living for their interest above your own. And all of a sudden you turn around and you realize, oh, I'm in love. And so we must do things that cultivate a love for Jesus. And then he says, believe or trust in Jesus in verse 8. You know, faithfulness, trusting, means surrendering everything to God and obeying His word regardless of the circumstances or the consequences. Meaning, above all else, I am going to obey and trust in Him. And it doesn't matter what's going to happen. That is most important. And then he says the strange one. He says, rejoice. So when trials come, love Jesus. When suffering comes, believe in Jesus. When pain comes, rejoice in Jesus. And I go, okay, but how? Well, think about it this way. Every trial, every struggle, every suffering helps us to learn something new and wonderful about Jesus. Think about Abraham. Abraham discovered new truths about how the Lord provides being on that mountain. You could not, there's nothing you could say to Abraham that would convince him that God can't provide. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I mean, they discovered truths about how near God can actually be in a fiery furnace. There's nothing that you could say to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you could convince them that God's not near to them. What about Paul? Paul learned the sufficiency, the fullness of God's grace when there was a thorn in his flesh that God would not remove. Even Jesus... In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, you know what it says about Jesus? It says, even though he was a son, he learned obedience 
You know how he learned obedience? It says through suffering. So suffering is not a sign of God's absence. It's often in suffering when we really see how near God actually is. So let me now look at the last three verses before I bring this to a conclusion. This is how it reads. Because it's, it's kind of a different thought. But he says, concerning this salvation, the one that he's been building on, think about where it comes from and what sustains it, what it's doing and when it will be revealed. He says, that salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. You see his past and present again? Searched and they inquired carefully. They were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them, that's grace, that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that we have now been announced to you, though you have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things into which the angels long to look. He says, concerning this salvation, a salvation that began before the foundations of time was brought about at the perfect time when Jesus Christ laid His life down on the cross and is being carried by the Spirit until completion. Listen, that is your salvation. Before the foundations of the world began to all eternity, our salvation is there. And Peter says, because of that, because... It, because of that salvation, it drove Peter to worship. To think about that there were people that would come after him that would believe and trust in Jesus Christ who would never even put their eyes on Jesus. I mean, Peter knew him. Peter walked with him. He ate with him. He cried with him. He prayed with Jesus. And I believe Peter was overwhelmed to think about there's going to be people that are going to believe and they will believe without ever putting their eyes on Jesus. He knows they're going to believe their faith is not going to be based on sight. And I believe Peter says, how beautiful is that? So here, here's what we need to think about and to pray that we eventually believe and trust when we think about suffering. So think about where you are, think about the suffering that either you've been in or maybe you're in right now or even a suffering that might come. And remember to think about you are never outside of God's circle of knowledge. From the foundations of the world He knew you. Every fiery trial, every struggle, every pain, every suffering that you are in, God has His eye on you and His hand on the thermostat. And through suffering, God is producing in you a faith that will stand for all eternity. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, it's inspiring to read about guys like J.I. Packer and how he is standing strong even through this incredible suffering. But this is not who Peter is talking to this morning. Peter is not addressing those whose faith is strong. 
Peter is talking to those whose faith actually needs help. He is talking to those who have had hard time trusting that God is actually in control. And I'll say, yes, I've, I've been there, Peter. He is talking to those who have a hard time believing God will use this for his good purposes. And I say, yes, I, I've been there. Peter is talking to those who feel hopeless when suffering crumb comes because it says when you are grieved. And I say, yes, Peter, that, that's me. I wish I was J.I. Packer. I wish I had that kind of faith. But instead of being ashamed of those times when we don't trust, when we feel hopeless, and when we are overcome by anxiety, I want us to find a great hope from Peter's letter this morning because Peter, Peter can relate to you. Just think about it. He knows what it feels like to fail. And he knows what it feels like to be redeemed. He knows what it feels like to not have a J.I. Packer perspective. Peter is talking to us because we need a stronger faith. So Christians, sometimes you know what it is? It's saying this. Because sometimes all we can do is say, I can't believe it, but I believe it. I can't believe it, but I believe it. And sometimes we just have to preach that to ourselves. I can't believe it, but I believe it. Because Christian, you will obtain the outcome of your faith. Your future is secure. Your inheritance is secure. You will finally, once and for all, for eternity, be freed from sin, from this broken world. And that is coming. And I would say, Christian, you will get your inheritance one day. You will make it through whatever hell you may experience in this world because of Jesus. And how do I know that? It's because He came to me. He's not waiting for me to find Him. He came to me. He came to live the life that I should have lived. And He died the death I should have died. And that's how we trust in the gospel. If you will, bow your heads with me. And I just want you to take just a moment to think about where you are. What pain, what struggle, what suffering are you going in? Man, do you have that faith like J.I. Packer? Listen, I pray that you do. But if you don't, and if you find yourself hopeless, anxiety-driven in a, a dark place... No, that's okay. Because Peter is writing to encourage you this morning. That there is hope. That you one day, because I have to believe that there had to be times along the way that if we get to a faith that can stand strong, there had to be teachable moments along the way. So Father, this morning, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters. I want to pray for myself. I want to pray that you would give us the faith that we need to believe and to trust you no matter what. And when those times of suffering come, and I pray we can stand as giants. But if we don't, help us to know that you are still there. That it's in those moments of darkness and despair and hopelessness, sometimes maybe we can actually see you the clearest. 
And it's through those moments that one day, maybe the next day, we're able to stand a little taller and a little stronger and a little firmer. Then each and every day, you are doing something. You are building us to a place for a salvation to be revealed. And we cry, Lord, come soon. So, Father, help us to be able to give thanks for life and forgive us for where we have not seen every life and every person as created in your image. Be with us today that we could honor you in all that we say and do and hear every day afterwards. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for your church. And we're thankful for a spirit that leads us. And it's in your Son's name that came to us and the spirit that lives in us. We ask all of these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.